Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. This morning, we have the pleasure of speaking to Mr. John Zipper. John is retired from the Federation of Southern Co-ops. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, I'm, I am retired, but I'm continuing to help out the Federation. I, I work with the Federation for a lifetime, over 50 years. I was involved in one of the organizers of the founding meetings of the Federation. Over 50 years. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. So you've been there almost all your life, huh? Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the program again, John. We want to talk about Georgia politics today. How have you been involved with the election down there, with the Senate election? Okay, well... Let, let me go back and put this in context, because I want everybody to understand this. That the Federation has three main goals, working to develop co-ops in, in the southern states, uh, working to help black people to retain their land. And as you know, the, the land owned by black people has declined over the last hundred years from 15 million acres in 1910 to uh, less than 4 million acres today. And our third basic goal is uh, to improve public policies for uh, rural people and rural communities, black farmers especially. So the work my connection to the efforts in Georgia in this upcoming election on, on January 5th is related to making sure we have people in Congress who will make policies that will be helpful to black people, poor people, rural communities. And uh, I guess all of my life in terms of working with the Federation, I have also set aside time when I was not directly being paid or working for the Federation on evenings and weekends, uh, working in terms of political activities to encourage people to vote, to help people get to the polls, to help people get absentee ballots, to work with people to understand the issues, important issues in the elections and why it's important to vote. So in terms of this election in Georgia coming up, it's an extension of all of those activities. And working with the Alabama New South Coalition, 
which is a statewide black and progressive political group in Alabama, and the Save Ourselves Movement for Justice and Democracy, which is a, a more direct action effort to improve public policies. Uh, both of those groups in Alabama have come together to support efforts to get out the vote and ensure a high turnout in Georgia. And we, we have decided to concentrate and help a group called the Southwest Georgia Project, which is located in Albany, Georgia, and headed by Shirley Sherrod, who many people probably will recognize her name as a person who was dismissed wrongly, unjustly dismissed from U.S. Department of Agriculture. She was the head of rural development in Georgia. And the Breitbart people uh, transposed and changed some words she gave to an NAACP meeting suggesting that she was uh, racistly supporting black farmers over white farmers, which was not what she said. And anyway, she was dismissed. She's back home in southwest Georgia working to get out the vote in the 14 rural County surrounding Albany, Georgia. And we in Alabama and people in other states that we have been working with are supporting her effort to get out the vote in these rural and in some cases black majority counties. So you talked about Shirley Sherrard uh, being dismissed or fired from the Department of Agriculture wrongfully. And it's always amazing to me, John, how racist people will call other people racist and they lie in doing it. I mean, they say in this case, Shirley was racist against white folks in her job, white farmers, where they've been racist against black folks for 400 years. And they and they turn her words around. It wasn't what she said. They just turn them around and claim that. Now, but I would like to talk, if you would talk about Shirley, her history a little bit as it relates to this co-op world. What have she been doing in this co-op world, and how have you guys been working through these 50 years you've been with the Federation? Okay, so Shirley Sherrod and her husband, Charles Sherrod. Shirley is from southwest Georgia, grew up there. She married Charles Sherrod, who was a SNCC worker who came from Virginia to work in southwest Georgia. And, you know, they established the first land trust in the South, and they owned that land trust, which was called New Communities, owned 6,000 acres of land in southwest Georgia. And they were raising uh, cotton and soybeans and and peanuts and other crops, and they experienced droughts and other problems along the way. And eventually, the U.S. Department of Agriculture foreclosed on them, stripped them of the land, didn't give them certain benefits that they should have been given. And ultimately, 
uh, in the black farmer lawsuit, they were able to get the highest settlement in that case in between the kind of the original death of new communities and the later period, Shirley began working with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, and she worked for 20 years at our, we had an office in, still have an office in Albany, Georgia, and working to provide help to technical assistance and support for farmers, black farmers, and other farmers, and developing cooperatives connected to the Federation. So she was a staff member of the Federation for over 20 years and a colleague of mine. Then she accepted this position at the beginning of the Obama administration as the Rural Development Director in Georgia. And basically, she made a speech to the NAACP in Georgia in which she said, I had been working at the Federation. I had a lot of reluctance to help white farmers because of the whole history of the civil rights movement. But I I overcame this and I started helping white farmers. And, you know, in some way, Breitbart turned that around. So that's my history with Shirley. So she has 20 years with the Federation. She opened up a land trust, 6,000 acres. It got, she lost it. Fed, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture foreclosed on it, and then she sued them and won. And after they won, even with Obama administration, she got a job for the Federation, and then she got fired. <laughs> okay, this is yes. this is a sad story. This would make a good country western song, I think. It's a sad story, but what I like about Shirley and Charles, they don't get like most blacks that make it anywhere. Just because you get knocked down, you get right back up. You cannot stay down. John, we're going to take our first break, and I will come back and we'll talk more about this Georgia election and why it's so important. You said that you, as an individual, have worked to get black people to vote, to help them get to the polls, help them to understand what's important about the upcoming election so they get understanding and then they can be an informed voter, not only vote, but an informed voter of what's best for them. And so we're going to talk, come back and talk more about this Georgia election and what's best for people and how they can get out and vote. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oak. The program is Everything Cooperative. We have Mr. John Zippert on the line with us from Alabama. Just a quick on John. John is originally from New York, and he came down in the 60s. Uh, John, were you with Nick also, like Charles? No, I was with the Congress of Racial Equality Corps, and I was sent to Louisiana for the summer of 65. And when I went to help register people to vote, the Voting Rights Act had just passed. And I got involved with farmers and sharecroppers in, in 
St. Landry Parish, Louisiana, Appaloosas, Louisiana, and helped to organize a sweet potato cooperative. And that, we then, I linked up with Father A.J. McKnight, a, a black priest who was working in Lafayette, Louisiana, and through that effort, we helped to organize the meeting in 1967, which um, started the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. So that's my history. Now, while, while I was... Wait, wait, hold on a second, John. I just want to make this one point. So were you born in New York and then came down to Louisiana? Yes, I was born and raised, went to the Bronx High School of Science, City College of New York, and with 19 credits left in June of 1965, I volunteered with the Congress of Racial Equality and to work in, well, they were working in several states, but I got assigned to work in Louisiana, and I was sent to St. Landry Parish. Okay, and so the reason I wanted to bring this up is I was born in New York. My mother and father met in New York in World War II, but my father was from West Virginia, so at six months old or so, we, I was back in West Virginia. I grew up in West Virginia. So I had a southern draw, and when I would go visit my cousins in New York, they would all tease me a lot. So I got it. I, I laughed the first time you told me you were from New York because you had this southern draw. Your your draw was more more pronounced than mine to find out if you were from New York. So I've lost my southern draw, and you've really picked it up. Okay, I thought you were born and raised in in Alabama, quite well, frankly. But. You know, I had to learn to talk more slowly, and I had to learn to talk where people could understand me in Louisiana in those first two years. But I walked from one end of Appaloosas to the other, knocking on doors. I personally registered 4,000 people in 1965 and 66 in Louisiana, and uh, they were able to elect the first black officials as a result of those efforts and others. So, you know, I've been involved in this whole effort of, of voter registration and education and involvement from the beginning of my adult life and work. And that's why I say I never stopped. And, you know, I want to say that, quite honestly, anybody who works for a 501c3 organization that's working for social justice has to reserve some of their own time to work on this whole voter and political Effort because we're not going to change the laws and the programs and the allocation of resources in this country toward a, a more just system without using our votes. And I think John Lewis and others have said this and inspired this. And, you know, the Federation was actually attacked. Uh, had a major investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Birmingham 
as a result of our efforts in Sumter County, uh, which is a black majority county, 70% of the people in Sumter County are black, and that's where the Federation's Rural Training Center is. And the Federation was accused in, in the end of 1979 of using federal funds that we had received during the Carter administration that we had used those monies for political activities in Sumter County. And they subpoenaed all of our uh, financial and program records. They they spent two years investigating us. The FBI interviewed over 200 members of the Federation. And at the end of it, they could find no evidence of the use of federal funds for political purposes. And, you know, we were well aware that we couldn't use those funds for political purposes. But on the other hand, we also felt an obligation to be involved in political change, and especially in places like Sumter County and Greene County, where I live now, and many of these other Black Belt counties that are in a belt across uh, the state of Alabama and really across the South, places where cotton was king and slavery was in full force. And there remains now a large black population as a result of that. And the whole purpose of the Voting Rights Act was to enable those people to take part in the political process. And this is crucial to the, I think, the whole success of the cooperative movement, not just in Alabama, but nationwide. We, we need to have more poli policies that encourage social justice, that reduce the gap between the highest income people and, and the rest of us. And, and politics and voting is a way to deal with that. Oh, I so, so totally agree with you. Uh, my my um, hypothesis is that those people with money, uh, Lefner and Purdue, are examples. They're millionaires running in Georgia. People with money vote for people, put up their money, and Citizen United was something they got changed so they could put up more money and they could buy the politicians. And when they bought the politicians, those politicians would create policies that benefits them. So that people with money have the power of money and they can buy their politicians, people, everyday people that we're talking about. 47% uh, of Americans would not have $400 if they had an emergency. They found that before the coronavirus. I wonder what that would be now, John, if, that gone, if that's gone up to 70% of Americans wouldn't have $400 if they had an emergency. That 70% of Americans, those are the people that have the vote power. They have the power of the vote. And it's using that power to, to put people in office that will create policies that's good for the masses of people. And, John, I used to be upset with those people 
those politicians that got bought by the rich and they would create policies for the rich. And then I realized they are for the people also. So I would say they're not for the people. And I said, no, they're for the people. They're just for rich people. Okay. <laughs> and they create policies for rich people. And we need people in place that would create policies for the least of these, for those masses of people, 70, 80, 90% of Americans. Those are the people we need policies for. And I know from a 501c3 point, you could not say whether Warnoff is better than Loeffner or whether or not uh, Ossoff is better than Purdue. I'm not in that world. So I will say to you, when I do the analysis, Ossoff and Warnoff are much better for the people than Loeffner and Purdue. They are millionaires, and they're, they've already shown, and they've already said what they're for. So we've got to get people out to vote. That's where I'm at. I think that's absolutely true, and that's why we have been helping the Southwest Georgia Project to do the voter mobilization that they're doing for this Georgia election. So anybody out there, if you would like to support the the Southwest Georgia Project, you could go to swgaproject.com, and you could donate some money. Uh, what Shirley Sherrard and them are doing is they've got 56 young people between 21 and 28 years old that go knocking on doors. They do social distance. They get people. They 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 originally got people to register to vote. Uh, that was a big push, and now they're getting people to go vote. They will take people to the polls, uh, make sure that they understand the, what's important, and then vote. They cannot tell them who to vote for, but they can tell them what the issues are. We're going to take our second break, John, and then we'll want to come back. I really like how you're putting this co-op and how it's important who we vote for to the success of this cooperative movement. And you and Shirley have been highly involved with land trust and this developing co-ops. In the meantime, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Uh, this program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. NCB does not sponsor any politician either, but they do try to get people to go vote, and they do try to make sure that people understand what the issues are. So what we're saying here right now is not uh, what I am saying are my views and not NCBs or the Southwest Georgia Project or the Federation of Southern Co-ops. But I just I personally believe you need to get out, those Georgians need to get out and vote for Warnoff and Ossoff because they will pre create the policies that will help black farmers, that will help uh, the poor, whether or not they're in the South or throughout the U.S. And, John, I for also further believe that this election is so important because if we win those two seats, then the Democrats have the majority of the Senate, 
and so that Biden and Kamala Harris can get their uh, policies through because Mitch, Mitch McConnell has shown that even though the House will put something up, uh, they put a policy up nine months ago for this coronavirus, and he wouldn't even put it on the floor of the Senate. So whoever runs the Senate, if Schumer runs the Senate, then he decides which legislation gets even up to vote on and which which judges get approved and whether or not, uh, as McConnell did to Obama, he would not even put his Supreme Court justice in. He held it up for a whole year. So this see, this is extremely important for the U.S. and I would say for the world. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, Jim? Yes. Well, I, I certainly agree with you, and I, and and I think if the people of Georgia look at this election, they have some people running who are millionaires, and other folks running who are ordinary folk, or middle class folks, a, a, a preacher, and a, and a, I think Asap is a lawyer, and. A, but they are not millionaires, and 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 as you have suggested, they the folks that have been in office have not provided relief uh, for this whole coronavirus situation until at the last minute, and now the president is unsure if he's going to sign it. So you know politics affects us every day. Uh, one of the other things we need to say about this election in Georgia is that it it reflects the continuing efforts of voter suppression against black and poor people. And uh, the, uh, the Secretary of State in Georgia two years ago removed 100 purged 198,000 voters, most of them black. And after some investigative reporting by Greg Palace and, and others, the ACLU, the Rainbow Coalition, Black Voters Matter, they all found out that two-thirds of the people who were purged had never moved. And they they were purged because their address supposedly changed, and the uh, the Georgia officials used a, an unofficial list, not a post office certified list, and over two thirds of the people that they purged were people who should be able to vote, and they're in court now trying to get those people who didn't find this out and didn't re-register themselves to register. And and they also are tr- tried to reduce the number of draft boxes for absentee ballots in on January 5th over November 3rd. I think that's been stopped. But there is a whole process in 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 the southern states, and we have it in Alabama, too, where since the Shelby versus Holder Supreme Court decision uh, gutting sections four and five of the Voting Rights Act, that we we have ramped up efforts 
uh, at voter suppression primarily aimed at black and poor people. And, um, you know, it's important to point that out. And as I was mentioning earlier, as as early as 1979 and the early 80s, the Federation experienced this kind of voter suppression in the in the effort to investigate us for falsely investigating us for utilizing uh, federal grant funds. Uh, for political purposes. And Jeff Sessions was the U.S. attorney in Mobile who who, uh, who pushed these suits. Uh, Richard Shelby, who was the congressman from Tuscaloosa that was the congressman for covering Sumter County, responded to complaints from Sumter County that initiated this investigation. And I was one of the targets of this investigation because I was one of the program directors of the Federation. And I just want to tell one other little story. I I had a secretary. I had a secretary or an administrative assistant, a lady who was assisting me. Her name was Fanny Rice. She's she passed away several years ago, but she was from a small community, rural community in Sumter County. She came to work at the Federation, and and she decided that on weekends she would register all of the people in her community of Coatopa, Alabama, which is in rural Sumter County, and she registered over 300 people. Well, when this investigation began, I was called before a grand jury and asked, was Miss Rice paid with federal funds to register people? And I said, no. And they said, well, why didn't you stop her? You knew she was registering people. Why didn't you stop her? And I said, well, she was registering people on her own time. Why would I, a person who have been involved in the civil rights movement all my life, tell somebody not to read, forbid somebody from registering people to vote? She did not do it with federal funds. Yes, she had a job with an organization that was funded with federal funds, but that doesn't stop her from engaging in civic engagement in her community. And and I tell that story because it speaks to this whole question of voter suppression, and we can't let people stop us from voting. And I, I would just say to black people and white people in Georgia, whose economic interest would be served by voting for the non-millionaire candidates to do so. So I get economic interest. Their economic interest is best for them to vote for Warnoff and Ossoff. But their health, (laughs) okay. I was reading an article where Kelly Loeffner is calling Warnoff radical, a radical 
liberal or something. She kept radical liberal. Yes, yeah. she called and, him that fifty times in the debate. And she she welcomed support from white supremacists, from QAnon, and militia members. And I have it that she's much more radical than Warnoff is. And his policies have been everything but radical. He's he has not endorsed elimination of insurance. He's talked about keeping, uh, I like to call it Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, but improving on it. His policies on, um, he, he wants to do things as best for the majority of the people. She wants to do things as best for their rich and herself, the millionaire class. And we got to vote for it, get that vote out. So, John, I really commend you on a life-long uh, pursuit of justice and i have it which i've said earlier the power of the people is in the vote the power of the rich is in the money and we've got to get people out to vote and of course the rich are going to because that is the power of the poor to vote they're going to try to to suppress that vote they do everything they can just to suppress it you know one i mean this whole health care issue is really one reason why while this is a georgia election it's, it really affects everyone in this country because if we need to vote for people who are going to improve health care and make health care more available to the people of this country. And I, I think it's clear where the candidates in Georgia stand on that. And that, that's why this is really a national election not just a Georgia election, because everybody's health care in the United States is affected by this, and especially in Alabama, where we're hoping that we'll get some changes in the Affordable Care Act to, to overcome this issue where the the local officials in Alabama are blocking, blocking Medicaid expansion, and that's also true in Georgia, that in about 13 states, the people who need the coverage by the Affordable Care Act and Medicaid are being denied this, and that's why it's very important for people to look at this and vote. That's why we're supporting the Southwest Georgia Project. That's why we're calling people we know in Georgia. And if any of your listeners know people in Georgia, you ought to call them and encourage them to vote. And you call them to vote. You can, uh, Warnoff and Osoff can can get you to call other people in Georgia to get them out to vote. Um, you can also give some money to those campaigns or you can go to SWGA SW, Project, that's southwestgeorgiaproject.com, and you can donate money there to help Shirley Sherrard and the group get people out to vote and get people to the polls and make sure people understand the issues. What's best for the people of Georgia in terms of health care? And as John has just said, what's best for the people in Georgia for health care is also what's best for the nation in health care in Alabama and other states. And that's to improve on the Affordable Care Act, not to eliminate it. And this is what 
Ossoff and Warnoff had done. Warnoff has claimed that she voted 100 percent with with Donald Trump, and he wanted to get rid of it. He still has been trying to do that, but he they failed. But that's where she's been about getting rid of the health care that would help the majority of the people. John, we're going to take our final break, and we'll come back and we'll talk more about this Georgia election and why it's so important for America and the world. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, we talked about Shirley Sherrard and her husband, Charles. Charles came from Virginia to the South to work with Nick, and John Zippert, who is our guest today, came from New York to the South to Louisiana to work on voter registration, get the uh, vote out. Uh, Shirley's up and down. Shirley had a problem with... Uh, they lost their 6,000 acres, and she sued the government with some other black farmers. They won a very, very large case against the Department of Agriculture. And then she went to work for the Department of Agriculture, only to get fired because Breitbart had tampered with her speech. And uh, it was interesting how she just keeps coming back. They bought some additional land after the suit, or even before, and she keeps Getting back up when when gets knocked down, and that's what happens to black folks. But John, I have a personal question to ask you. Okay. I got that you probably graduated in 1961 from high school. I graduated in 1965, so you got me about four years in age. When you graduated, would you have ever thought that you would have worked in co-ops all your life? You'd have moved to the South and and live in the South, marry a Southern girl, raise a family. And you'd work for black, poor people, black farmers. Did you imagine that at 18 years old? Well, I graduated from high school in 62. And not not really. Uh, I I, I think I I felt some desire to go into service with service of other people. And when I went to college... Um, I, I was involved in the student government and, you know, it was, this was the early 60s. This was the free speech movement. This was SDS. This was civil rights. And I was involved a little bit in some of that. In March of 1965, we got a telegram from Dr. King at at our student government asking us to send some people to march uh, in the march from Selma to Montgomery, not the first march, not Bloody Sunday when people were beaten and not the second march when they were turned back, but the third march when uh, federal troops, when uh, President Johnson, they reached an agreement that they would allow the march to go forward. And President Johnson nationalized and the National Guard, the Alabama Guard became the National Guard to, to protect the march to some extent. 
together with three or four other people from the student government. I did go to Selma. Uh, I did march out of Selma that Sunday. And then only 300 people were selected. And they were mostly people from Alabama to walk from five miles out of Selma until they got uh, to Montgomery. So the, we we spent three or four days in Selma working at, a, the, I guess, at the SNCC Freedom House and with the library there and some other things. Then we got a ride in a truck to St. Jude's, which was the Catholic school where the marchers had stopped on Thursday night, and we marched into Montgomery on that Friday, the end of the Selma to Montgomery march. So ever since then, and somewhat before that, I've been interested and involved. And as I said, I went to volunteer for the summer of 1965, and it's been a long summer. Um, <laughs> I, I say so. <laughs> I'm, hope, I'm hoping. I'm, I, I'm. I've been planning for a while to write a memoir or write a reflection or, or write something on my history and involvement from the beginning, and and. You know, I've been involved in a lot of things. I've been to jail many times. I've been involved with the Federation. I've been involved in statewide political efforts. My wife and I are the co-publishers of the weekly newspaper in in Greene County where we live. And that was all of these things. Were, were there was a struggle involved in all of them, and I think I need to write this story for young people to see all that is involved in working for social justice and and to en- encourage them. So I'm hoping to do that, and once I get that book ready, I want you to invite me on your show when I ha- when I get this book finished and published to talk about it, because it'll be a lot about the cooperative movement and its importance uh, to people, importance to me and to other people in making a difference in their lives. So, John, you are one of my heroes, so I really encourage you to write that book. I think it would be helpful not only for young folk, but for people like me. Before years or so you graduated in 62 I graduated in 65 I was 17 when I graduated I just turned 73 in October so that puts you about 77 and and it's and I thought that with John Lewis that been a little bit older you were out there in it I I I was trying to figure out in 1965 what college I was going to and I couldn't afford much of anything so it was like yeah where are you going to go to college and so and my parents were not involved in civil rights or social justice or economic rights. It was like how you feed seven children. That was their focus. So I really admire you. I, I, I admire you and what you've done with your life and would love to 
read that book. Would love to have you back on to talk about that book, to help you to do a book tour, to get it out to young people and old. Like I would like to know it. I'm a little bit on the old side. I haven't grown up yet, but I'm I'm trying. To, I would love to 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 get that. That's why I asked you that question because it's it. In 1962, I could not have imagined that you could have planned your life, as I could not have planned mine, that that's what you would do. So write the book, yeah, sir. But, but I do say to young people that when I, when my wife and I helped to start the Federation, we were in our 20s. When I, when I went to Louisiana with the Civil Rights Movement, I was... 19 going on 20. Mm -hmm. I was 22 when we helped to organize the meetings that started the Federation. And um, I, I turned 75 on November 13th. And I, oh. so I'm continuing to work at it. And I just think, and that to me, this is the whole value of the co-op movement that it, it depends on participation. It depends on your involvement. It doesn't depend on how much money you have. And you can get access to things like the National Co-op Bank, which I was, <laughs> I was, the Federation was involved in some of the legislation to help create the bank, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Chuck Snyder knows that. He's the president. Right. But, you know, Ralph Page, and Charles Prejean, myself and others were, Father McKnight, were involved in that. And and they're gonna, there are opportunities every day. There are going to be opportunities once we get into the next administration and meaningful uh, coronavirus relief that there will be opportunities for young people to take part in moving social justice, racial justice, economic justice forward. And uh, just going back to it, I think that hopefully this victory in this Georgia election coming up will help to make that well will help to facilitate that and make that a little bit easier to do but it's still going to be a challenge it's still going to be a great challenge and you know i, I just want to say again we have been supporting the southwest georgia project swgeorgiaproject.com we have if people are more interested in the work of the Federation, uh, federation.co, www.federation.coop, they can go to the Federation's website and see what we have been doing. And we, of course, need continuing support. And, you know, I just want to encourage people to do what they can to call people and send money and support this upcoming election in Georgia. John, thank you so very much for being on. Uh, please get the book out. I'd love to have you back on to talk about that. Everybody else out there, um, go to swgaproject.com. 
sign up to help call people, donate some money. Uh, they do need money to get these young pay these, pay these young people to go knock on doors and take people to the polls, make sure they understand their issues. And this is a national election, so we've got to get folks out there, get these two people elected, Warnoff and Ossoff, uh, so that we can get the policies that we are talking about that John has been working his whole life. I, I figured, John, 55 years from 1965 to 2020. Yep. I appreciate you. I have much respect for you, sir. Uh, everybody out there, I hope that you'd have a wonderful week. Uh, next week we'll have Wendell Paris on. He's been in the co-op movement for for years also. And this week, please live cooperatively. Thank you. And thank you, John. Have a great, great day. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOS and 95.9 FM.